When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Shana Hammond is a leadership and life coach for thousands of educators and executive leaders within the education system. She is an award-winning teacher, the founder and CEO of Teach to Lead, and founder of Shana Renee, a coaching practice dedicated to creating spaces, methods, and conditions for Black women in leadership to thrive. Highly regarded for her intuitive and research-based coaching and training expertise, she is a board trustee member for many organizations. Tonight, I dive in with one of my professional accountability partners and a fellow leadership trailblazer as I sit back and enjoy Jefferson's Ocean, aged at sea, bourbon whiskey. This is straight talk you won't hear anywhere else. I'm Galen Bingham. And this is the Whiskey, Jazz, and Leadership Podcast. Cheers. Boy, that's good. Okay, so do I even need to tell you what this is? Because you guys know that this is where we come with real conversations. And this is really interesting because this is someone who I have wanted to have this conversation with for a while. We, we've tried to make this happen for a while, but she is amazing and in demand. And what's so crazy is I talk to her every week. We are actual literal accountability partners. So I talk to her every week. We have amazing conversations and I've just been dying to share this with everyone here on Whiskey, Jazz and Leadership. So Shana Renee Hammond, welcome to the room. <laughs> I am so excited to have you on the show. Finally, <laughs> the day has come. <laughs> I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to get into just some great conversations as we normally do. You know, I've got a really important questions. I'm going to hit you with a lot of questions. The first, and a lot of people say the most important question, what you drinking? <laughs> Not very exciting. I have some good old lemon water. Hey, lemon water, that's good. That's good. Well, that just means that I gotta I gotta hit this this bourbon whiskey thing kind kind of hard for the both of us. Yes. You know, one of the things that I decided to do with this, because this is actually kind of a special conversation for me. I've been looking forward to this one. And one of the bourbons that really kind of got me on this kick is this bourbon called Jefferson's Ocean, aged okay. at sea. 
And there was actually kind of a cool story that one of my really good friends told me about. She said, you know, Galen, it's this bourbon. And supposedly during prohibition time, they made all this bourbon. They were afraid of it getting damaged. So they put this on a boat. They sent this boat out into the out into the water and they lost the boat. And oh, the wow. boat traveled around in the seas until prohibition was over. And then the boat, they found the boat and they open up the barrel and the seawater and the agitation of the waves created a very special taste, aroma, and there's a very special expression. Now, we all know that all of that's marketing, but boy, that's a cool story, right? Great story. So I talk a lot recently about this trip that I was on in, in San Francisco years ago. And it was literally the first bar I walked into after hearing this amazing story. And the bartender had an amazing, amazing display of bourbons. And so I said, well, here's my chance. Do you happen to have Jefferson's Ocean Ace at sea? And he seemed actually kind of offended that I would suggest that he wouldn't have it. So he brought it over. And that's what I'm going to get into tonight. I'm going to get into some some Jefferson's Ocean Ace at sea. I haven't had this in a while, so... Let's go ahead and, oh my, yeah, I remember that. Okay, so I'm going to sit here and remember Jefferson's Ocean, Aged at Sea, and I would love for you to just share a little bit with the audience mm-hmm. about your background. What has has led to you sitting here and me being really excited about having this conversation and sharing this conversation? Share a little bit about who you are. Sure, no problem. So I'm a former teacher and a former principal. I was a young principal many moons ago. And now I'm the founder and CEO of Teach to Lead, where we specialize in guiding organizations and teams to create liberatory cultures. And most recently, and most excitedly, I just kicked off a year ago, Shana Renee, my own coaching practice, where we coach Black executive women from around the world in emotional intelligence, and really how to thrive in leadership in life. It's such a joy to do. It's the thing that brings me the absolute most joy. Um, I'm really excited to do it. I can vouch for that because I know Shana Renee has been, you know, one of those labors of love that even before that was a thing, uh, I feel like I was kind of part of the journey of saying, okay, let's make this happen. Let's make this happen. Tell, talk a little bit about, first of all, what is Shana Renee? Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of courage that it took for you to step into that. So talk a little bit about what it is and, and what was the courage that was required for you to step into that? Yeah. So I started my first company, Teach to Lead, um, almost nine years ago. And we primarily worked with executives and organizations in the education sector and then organizations that were supporting schools in some way and some nonprofits. And there were some clear trends. We, you know, really were squarely in that racial equity space. Um, Many of the same trends were coming up. Context, of course, different from organization to organization. But there were clear trends around specifically Black women and their experience within their organizations. And so while we worked with executives of all backgrounds, Whenever I had the honor and joy of coaching directly Black women executives and women in leadership, I kept hearing many of the same pain points, as well as same wins as well. And they were along the lines of, you know, the conditions at work, 
experiencing a lot of implicit bias and microaggressions, things of that nature, always constantly having to kind of, you know, overperform because they were underestimated, et cetera. And what I noticed was that even when we were doing the racial equity work in interracial settings, oftentimes we weren't able to really talk about uh, what Black women in particular needed. And their work and our work really is around healing. Um, is around coming back home to ourselves, coming back to rediscovering our authentic selves and making sure we're doing all the things we need to do to show up as our best. While, of course, doing all of the leadership work that's expected of us, of course, at work. And so I kept noticing these trends and I, you know, tweaked our programming as much as we could within Teach to Lead to make sure everyone kind of got what they needed But it just was clear to me that not only this wasn't just like another program within Teach to Lead, like we needed our own space. And so Shayna Renee, so my middle name is uh, Renee. Renee means rebirth and Shayna means beauty. So beauty reborn. And as I was coaching different women, what feedback I was getting back from them around the impact it was having, they kept saying things like, I feel like I've rebirthed myself. I'm coming back home to myself. I'm now leading more boldly than I ever have before. I now, you know, have more work-life balance. I now have a rhythm that I can count on. I now, you know, have raised my consciousness and deepened my self-awareness and feel this kind of inner power that both feels new but familiar at the same time. And so I just paid attention to that and just kept paying attention to that. And I sat on it for maybe three years or so. I had this passion, had this vision. I talked about it with you and a couple other folks in my inner circle. Um, And I said, you know, I just keep feeling this pull to create this space specifically for Black women. And then there was the question of kind of what is it? What do I call it? And You know, one of my just kind of, I'd say, growth areas, if you will, in life generally and leadership and life is becoming more and more comfortable being seen, heard, valued and received. Some of that, of course, has to do with trauma and some of that has to do with being a woman and being taught, you know, of a certain age also and being taught, you know, to not kind of speak up or, you know, you're better, rather seen than heard and that kind of thing. And I kept getting this nudge to put it all the way out there and to go ahead and yes, name your practice, you know, Shane Renee. And so here I am <laughs> naming it Shane Renee. I claimed it last year, but around this time, March, 2020, that was the other thing I launched in a pandemic. I kept getting that nagging whisper um, that I could not turn down anymore. And I obeyed. I've learned to stay in a constant state of surrender. I surrendered and did it. And it was the best leap that I've ever made in my life. And mm. I'm so glad that I did it. Wow. I mean, they're just, you're hitting on so many things. Uh, you know, I, I seem to be in this space uh, a lot recently where uh, I'm noticing things that people are doing that they're not supposed to do. They're not supposed to be able to do that. It's literally impossible. Mm-hmm. And Shana, Renee, I, I'm just going to let you in uh, on this well-kept secret. Uh, or poorly kept secret that programs like this for women are not possible. You're not supposed to be able to do that. And and it doesn't matter that you've done it, what, four times now (laughs) for women all over the, all over the country, uh, senior, most level uh, women, 
you know, this is just amazing what you're doing. And the need, not only have I seen the need in some of the work that I've done, but if you're listening to this and you you remember the conversation I had with uh, Ms. Dolores Presley, she talked a little bit about this need as well. Mm-hmm. And I am just so proud to have a connection with someone <laughs> who's stepping into that space. Now, it, it has to be scary to put your name. <laughs> so talk a little bit about the courage that it takes mm-hmm. to do something while you're still nervous about it. Yeah, we talk about this a lot in our Indigo Women community. And I have to give a lot of credit to my tribe. Something I always say is nurture your vibe. Well, protect your vibe and nurture your vibe, your tribe. And my tribe, you know, when I say tribe, I mean, these are the folks that, you know, I can call on for anything at any time. They're people who know me, have known me for a while, who will tell me the truth, who will call me higher, who will remind me who I am. And it's really, you know, been this iterative process of just kind of checking back in with them and saying, hey, you know, then they reflect back to me. You've been talking about this for a while, you know, like, when are you going to do it? Uh, when are you going to jump out there? And what, what might this mean? And how is this a gift to others? So really having some key mirrors in, in my life has meant everything. <laughs> and then, you know, too, you hear me talk about this all the time, which is, a sound spiritual practice. I have a spiritual practice that's pretty vast. I use a menu of different practices and, you know, just trust my intuition to know what to use when, but that's what anchors me. It anchors me and really coming back into what is spirit trying to tell me? What is my higher self telling me right now? And it just helps me keep my true self in the front seat and in the driver's seat Um, And keep that personality, you know, on the passenger seat um, and make sure that my personality is of service to my true self and not the other way around. Wow. Yeah. You you talk about that a lot and and you've mentioned it quite a few times here just in this conversation. It reminds me of a book and a conversation I had with Shazad Shamain, who's the author of positive intelligence. And one of the things that he said, he he wasn't the author of this, but he was the first person I said, he said that we always know who we are. Mm-hmm. We have just forgotten. Exactly. And so this work is about remembering yes. who we are mm-hmm. before adults try to make us more reasonable. So talk a little bit about, because that sounds like what you do with your spirit work, right? It's, yes. it's, it's about remembering who you are and what you were put here to do. Yes, exactly. And that's our work in the Indigo Women community. So the process that I use in my coaching is called the R3 method. The three R's are rebirth, reset, and renew. And it's literally a process, a cyclical process of coming back home to exactly who you are, to what brings you joy and what you're here to do, what your calling is. Um, And making sure that those things are aligned, because when we're not careful, I call it sleepwalking. Most of us are sleepwalking. We're on autopilot. We're doing what our calendars tell us to do. We're trying to hit, you know, external metrics by any means necessary. And we're losing ourselves in the process. Um, We're not really thinking about our values, not really thinking about exactly why why we're here, where we are, whether we're at our best selves or not. And so it's really that, that process and that space to come back home. And I notice every single time when women do that, 
what they're able to do leadership wise is just phenomenal. And most women who come to me are doing extremely well already. And then they're able to do it with joy. They're able to do it, you know, at an even grander scale. And that's what I'm on here, here to do. Like, you know, I'm just grateful that that's what I'm here to do. And that's what my assignment is and able to create, can continue to create that space for myself so that, you know, other folks can create it for themselves. Yo, this is Galen. I'm excited to announce that now you can support the Whiskey Jazz and Leadership Podcast as a patron. Click the link wherever you hear this message to get more information and to register. But check this out. At just a $1 per month patron level, you get access to the What's Next newsletter sent to your email box each month. That's where you will learn information about upcoming guests, get more detail about my private stock whiskey collection, and you'll learn about my new jazz favorites as soon as I fall in love with them, and much, much more. $8 per month, you become a VIP. And as a VIP, you'll gain access to special VIP content each guest has recorded specifically for VIPs. And you are able to join the Whiskey Jazz and Leadership community on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Clubhouse. For $13 per month, you become a private stock VIP. That's where all the real fun happens. You will have access to written transcripts of each episode, an invitation to live tapings of future episodes, and access to invitation-only opportunities to interact with me and our guests during monthly Q&A live events and lots of other surprises. We're stepping up our game to give you more insight and special access. I hope you join us. Cheers. Okay, so now you you and I met as part of this emotional intelligence work that I signed up for. I mean, you know, a buddy of mine, Dr. Peter James, who was actually one of the first guests on Whiskey Jazz and Leadership, talked me into signing up for this Daniel Goleman emotional intelligence program. And I'm like, okay, sure. I mean, Daniel Goleman, respected name. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and do it. And I didn't realize this was going to be a two-year journey <laughs> reflecting on myself and, and the mm -hmm. stories I tell myself and, and, and how that would turn me into the coach that I am today, because it's, I'm definitely a different cat than I was two years ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the people that I saw was Shana Ham Hammond. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, there's something about this energy here. I went back and I told Peter, cause he and I talk every week and I said, Peter, we need to find a way to get whatever it is that she has and does into our conversation. So now the three of us <laughs> yeah. talk weekly. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about how this connects with all of the training that you've been through, mm -hmm. emotional intelligence. You've done your own training. You created your own training. The thing that I think I got from you is that 
It's one thing to understand the training and the rules, but at some point you got to let go and just kind of step in and let spirit guide you to those questions that in my person, I would be afraid to ask. I'd be crazy to go there, but there's this voice inside me saying, no, nah, that's exactly where I need you to go. So, so talk a little bit about what that journey has looked like for you. Yeah. So you're getting at what's called what I call my jam. So coaching is my jam. And I love, I love the part of coaching that is the unknown, which is what you just described. Like, you know, there is this dance that happens after I've centered myself. And as you know, I coach other coaches to do this. And then really just making sure the key is listening, is powerful listening and making sure I really drop in and I'm using my intuition. Um, And whenever I do that and I really, you know, think about the essence, the beauty of the person, you know, sitting across from me, I really get enraptured into their world and I'm guided from there. And we just go on this dance and I allow spirit and, you know, allow the trust in myself to guide the process. And sometimes I'm surprised, you know, where we end up, where we land, but it's this beautiful dance every single time. And that's how I know it's my jam. I, you know, I drop in and an an energy kind of takes over. We lose track of time sometimes, and yet it happens really quickly. I'm able to unlock that just right question at that just right time because I'm in my zone. You know, a gift of mine is you know, creating spaces, whether it's with one person or a hundred people where people feel comfortable being vulnerable while also feeling that push to be called higher. When it all comes down to it, really, it's about love, I think, at the end of the day. Wow. Wow. So as we think about our clients, Mm -hmm. what would you say that is the biggest stumbling block that many coaching clients face? I suspect Mm-hmm. that they are the ones listening to this conversation. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the biggest stumbling block that many executives stumble over? There are many. I think that for a lot of us, when we peel back the layers of the context or whatever it is we might be facing, a common universal fear across so many different people is a fear of either not being enough or being too much. Um, I think that's so common. I hear that come out in so many different ways, whether someone's either shrinking or hiding or whether someone is, you know, swimming in their blind spot and maybe, you know, insulting someone unknowingly or something like that. Usually there's um, an awareness gap, an awareness gap personally around who they are, what truly makes them great. Because, you know, we're all swimming in a white supremacist culture that says you are what you produce instead of you are your values. You are, you know, what you think is most important. You are how you treat people. You are, you know, how people experience you. You are love. You know, we don't necessarily swim in that space every single day consciously. And so it's up to us as leaders to create that space for ourselves so that we can continue to remind ourselves who we are. So we're rooted in that. And that's the energy we're bringing to an exchange. And then slowly but surely, when we start doing that, we start gaining confidence and start gaining a trust that we are enough or we're not too much. We're just exactly right for the moment that we're meeting right now. Wow. It reminds me of uh, this conversation I had with Wyman Winbush. Mm -hmm. And he said that 
if you were to strike the C note on a piano mm-hmm. and there are other pianos in the room, the other pianos will will vibrate that same note because they can recognize that note being played. But he draw the connection to people can sense truth. Mm-hmm. Even if they can't articulate it, they can sense that there's something that I connect with in that. So talk to me a little bit about how that works in the work that you do, because that sounds like what you're doing. You're you're playing yes. that C note and yes. everyone is like, I don't know what it is, but I could I resonate with that. There. Yeah. So the common thread that binds all of my coaching is emotional intelligence. It's how we met. I really do believe that something I always say is the muscle that we're flexing when we're leading people who are different from us is emotional intelligence. The more that we tap into really getting clear about our emotions and how our emotions impact other people, our our biases, our thoughts, our patterns, the more we get clear about also other people's perspectives and how we can leverage more diverse perspectives to build better relationships. Once we understand how all four of those domains work together, it's when people do that work consistently you can tell there's an empathy about them. You know, there are just certain people, you know, you can trust. And then there are certain people you just kind of get in their presence and you're just like, hmm, you get quiet, you kind of shrink, you know, you get a little skeptical. It's a feeling. It's like what Maya Angelou said, you know, we may forget what people say and do, but we will never, ever forget how people make us feel. And it's that adaptive work that's going to get at making sure that we're showing up as our best selves and actually being the people that other people want to be around and that other people want to be led by. Um, and it really takes that deep adaptive work to be able to do that. And it also requires trust, right? Trusting yeah. that, you know, yeah. trust the feeling when the logic doesn't quite add up, which sounds even scary for me to say, why is that scary to people? Why, why are we afraid to, to trust as Jay-Z would say, trust our knowing. You know, our brains are wired to keep us safe. Our brains are wired to feel comfortable around what's familiar, what we can see, what we can touch. Our hearts are very different. (laughs) Our intuition's very different. It's a feeling. We live in a society in a world that overemphasizes the intellectual. Uh, We romanticize it. We lift it up as superior to all the other intelligences. And so when we do that, we inadvertently kind of insert mistrust of intuition and other ways of knowing. And so that's scary when it's not, you know, validated by the outside world, much like other, you know, intelligences. And so I think that because it's still a little bit counterculture, it feels like a risk and it feels like something that isn't necessarily as validated as it should be. When we've been in those moments and we've trusted our guts, Um, And when we really think about it and we're honest with ourselves, it's likely those times when the decisions were actually more powerful. They probably, you know, happened with more ease than us overthinking something and forcing something to happen. I have messed up so many, so many business decisions because I overanalyzed it. So much analysis. I've talked to so many consultants. At the end of the day, I should have just trusted my gut. Mm-hmm. And I talk about this stuff. I teach this stuff. Uh-huh. And yet I fall victim to the exact same issues myself. As a matter of fact, a little, little insight into our into our weekly conversations. Uh, we take turns coaching each other. 
And usually when uh, it's my turn to coach someone, I usually say, okay, now when it's my turn, you can't ask me this question. Why do you think we're so fearful of that introspection? We, we seem to know that that's where all the gems are. We know that that's the journey that we need to take. Mm-hmm. But oh my gosh, I'm going to close my eyes until I get there. I know, right? What I've learned through some of my clients is that I think part of the fear is that we've told ourselves it's going to be really hard mm-hmm. and it's going to be a struggle. And we don't have time for that. <laughs> you know, we don't have time to struggle. We don't have time for it to be hard. And it's, I love this question because my my word for this year is ease. And whenever I, you know, set an intention for something, its opposite shows up so that, you know, I can have an opportunity to lean into it. So <laughs> you can imagine, you know, the first quarter, of course, a lot happened, <laughs> you know, like a lot in a good way, but just a lot all at the same time. And I'm being called myself to really lean into what does it mean with a lot going on to still choose ease and still, you know, stay the course. And I keep dropping back in in my spiritual practice, back to introspection. And each time I do, I learn a little bit more. But I think it's that we've convinced ourselves that it'd actually be harder and that, you know, autopilot's easier. I don't have to think about that. I can just keep going. But what we don't realize is the longer we're on auto- autopilot, the kind of bigger the crash may be on the other end where you're mm. feeling unhappy, unfulfilled and feel like you wasted too much time. And then, you know, realize too, you know, much, much later that actually it didn't even have to be that hard. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.